Hey everyone, welcome to How Greats Create. I'm your host, Alex Crompton. I've been writing music my whole life. Recently, I decided I want to get better at it. But no one could tell me the answer to my one simple question. How do the best musicians write music? So I decided to ask them. How Greats Create is a podcast where I interview world-class musicians I love, from pop to classical, and ask them how they write music. Of course, there's no magic formula, but I'm certain we can get pretty close. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on social media so you know when new episodes come out. And if you enjoy this episode, I'd really appreciate you leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing it with a friend. It makes a big difference in reaching more people. Enjoy. Hi, I'm delighted to have with me the fantastic Jessica Sharman. Jessica is an amazing songwriter and producer, perhaps best known for co-writing the Ward Thomas album Cartwheels, which was the first country album to reach number one in the UK. Jessica's writing style is super recognisable, and I have to say, not very country. She creates these warm, spacey chord progressions, often on piano, with intimate vocals and lyrics, and builds into absolutely beautiful soaring choruses. Jessica first gained recognition for writing the lead single, Carry You Home, and five the tracks on the 2016 Ward Thomas album, Cartwheel. And these songs show some of her signature style, but in my opinion, her more recent work shows a growing depth and sophistication. Beyond Ward Thomas, Jessica has been working with artists like Hannah Grace, Belmont, Blanche, Brie Kennedy, and a bunch more, as well as taking on producer roles with artists like Anya. These songs have a kind of sensitivity and thoughtfulness, while still feeling distinctly modern, that's very hard to pull off. In a previous life, Jessica studied art history before she studied songwriting at the Institute of Contemporary Music Performance. And you can find links to all Jessica's work in the description. Thanks so much for coming. It's great to talk to you. That was such a lovely intro. Thank you. I'm, I'm blushing on a podcast. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks for coming. Maybe you can start off by just talking to us about how you got into writing songs and then how you, that got you to where you are now. Yeah, so I have always played music. I was the uh, epitome of the ABBA song. I could dance before, I could walk, I could sing before, I could talk. I just, something about music that I really love from a young age. I started learning the piano when I was four. Mm-hmm. And it really became something that I would go to if I was in a particular emotion if I was happy I'd want to play if I was sad I'd want to play like it was just constant and I started writing when I kind of had a bit of a difficult time at school early on I just couldn't really concentrate I just wanted to perform or just be doing something musical or enacting and but I had a great English teacher who was pretty instrumental in helping me find poetry and understanding rhyme and poetic words and what that's like and I suddenly was at about nine I was like oh could I put the poetry to the music and make my own songs but again not in any kind of thing of a career or like this is what I want to be just experimenting and I was about I think I was 11 when I first wrote my first song gosh that's a weird sentence my first song was when I was, I wrote when I was 11 <laughs> um, and had a little Casio keyboard and was just doing like a little beat to it. And it was absolutely terrible, like shocking. The, I, I can actually still remember the melody, but I, it was just trite. But what I loved was that I could create and do it myself. And that was really freeing and fun. And then that sort of I just kept doing it, kept writing really terrible poems and putting them to, to music. I had some great music teachers, Natasha Marsh and Nick Nicholas Meyer. And they taught me, while I was learning classical guitar and classical piano, 
they could see my interest was waning and they said, well, you know, actually we could show you some chords and we could show you progressions. And they taught me about structure of songwriting. So you have verse, bridge, chorus, middle eight, those various different things. And I was 14 and I was, had come home from an absolutely terrible day at school. And I listened to the song by an artist called Amy Stutz called Misfit. And I remember just thinking, oh my God, you've described my day in a song. (laughs) That is incredible. Like you've got inside my brain. That is, that was my day. And I thought that is the coolest thing in the world that I'm not the only person that feels like that. And it was a bit of a, oh, that's what I want to do. I want to make people feel like they're not the only person in the world who feels like that and try and tap into that as a thing. And it was pretty much from about 14, 15 that I was like, okay, cool. That's what I want to do. But I didn't love the performing side of it. I got really nervous. I knew I didn't have an amazing voice that would like stop traffic like people, you know, now that I work with like Ward Thomas and Hannah Grace and Belmont, they could sing the phone book and people just weep (laughs) (laughs) copiously. But so I was always really stuck because I'd go in these open mics and I'd perform my songs, but I'd just be sick and sweaty palms and just hated it. (laughs) It was awful. It was awful. And then it was when I was at university, I got, I was, I had this, when I was studying art history, I was still playing music all the time. And I had this big show and the, you know, they were like, people had bought 200 tickets and they were basically all my pals who were just coming along and getting drunk at like the student union bar or whatever. But I got a terrible sore throat and I couldn't sing, literally couldn't sing. And was like, I've got all these people, what am I going to do? And uh, a housemate at the time was a singer and he said, Hey, I know all your songs, you sing them all the time. I'll do it with you. You can play and I'll sing along. And we went and we did it. And I just remember going, this was so fun. I enjoyed it because he was singing. He was great. He'd sung all my songs. So it was still making everybody happy. But it just also changed how I wanted the song to be because I could hear someone who could actually sing it. And then I started to realize like, oh, I sing songs that I can't sing, but other people, I write songs rather that um, I can't sing, but other people can. And it was, yeah, a real kind of lightning bolt moment. And then I started to think, is this something that I could do? But again, it wasn't like a big thing. I didn't have any sort of role models. Everybody that I loved as an artist, I thought they wrote their own songs. And it's only when you start diving deeper and you go, oh, crumbs, that's very different Mm. from what I thought. Then after university, I I applied for the course at ICMP, um, which Mm. was a professional diploma in songwriting. Mm. And it was, yeah, from there. Yeah, yeah. It's a very normal thing in the history of music that the, the writer is not necessarily the performer. And yet mm. in pop music, it's everyone has to pretend they're the same to preserve some kind of sense of authenticity. But yeah. yeah, it's just a really different thing. And it's bizarre. And the more you look back on it and you think of all the, the massive hits back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, obviously when the Beatles came in, they changed everything. But you had these professional songwriters. And it was only when I started working in Nashville where they... You have these writers around, writers go, who cannot sing for Toffee. Like, they are awful. But the songs are incredible. And loads of artists go along to these writers rounds and they go, I want that song. You can't sing. I can't write, but I can sing. Mm. So I'm going to, like, it's almost, it's this wonderful transaction of, you're never going to be able to sing like I can sing. So I'll take (laughs) your song and give it a home. Mm. And... That there's no kind of embarrassment there. It's a real joy. It's a real sharing. It's a real collaboration. And I think that's one of the greatest shames in, in the UK. There isn't that like desire to share. And actually, Ward Thomas and, and Hannah Grace are 
amazing when they mention me in interviews and they mention the other writers and producers that they work with. They really see it as a collaboration. And I think that is so special because mm. I couldn't do it without them. They couldn't do it without me. It's it's a joint thing. Mm. It's And that's what makes it really special, hopefully. Mm. Mm. And connect with people. But yeah, I, I don't know. There's almost like a a feeling that you have to write it all yourself. Otherwise... Mm you're not good and it's just not the case maybe sort of to dig into that a bit when i look at your catalog or when i listen to it rather often the stuff you're like talking about feels really personal how does that work when you're writing with other people because they don't sound like songs for other people they sound like songs for you (laughs) oh do you have any in particular that i thought like the hannah grace stuff was really like intimate or you had that song uh, is it Cassa Jackson Prisoner I was like yeah. the lyrics of that I don't know it's just really hard for me to imagine writing that song with someone or for someone I don't know it just feels like- I think I, I feel very lucky they they are that Cassa Jackson song she she came with the idea of I just feel like a prisoner in this mm. relationship and I don't really know what to do I treat a lot of my writing sessions a little bit like therapy sessions people will come in I feel like the tea and chats at the beginning of every kind of writing session is the most important part for me because I can sit down with the person, lull them into a false sense of security (laughs) and then be like, cool, let's write about that. But you get their language, you get their style, you get what, how they would put something, what their words would be, what their language is, how they'd phrase things from just Mm. a chat. And I've got my little writing book and I just write down things that they say. And I think it's, it's an enormous amount of trust and I feel very lucky that so many incredible artists have trusted me to open themselves up and write about things it can backfire there's sometimes we've written some incredibly personal songs about things where these artists have gone through incredibly harrowing experiences and it's that bit too personal and they're like I can never sing this Mm. because I can't actually I think I'll break down every time I do it so it's, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a balancing act but I think it's the kind of goes back to that the reason why I got into it in that you don't want to make people feel like they're the only ones going through something. And I think there is a sharing of emotion and honesty of experiences, trying to find different ways to say it. So it's pertinent to each artist. But I think that honesty is what people connect with. And bizarrely with the Ward Thomas cartwheels record the majority of it was written with me the girls and another writer called Rebecca Powell who I work with a lot and it was in their living room and we were all sat around just with a guitar being like what would you really like to hear on the radio or what is something that you wish someone would say to you Mm. and taking ideas and feelings that we all had about various points in our lives and putting it together but there was a time in 2018 and I remember it in 2018 because every nearly every week someone was like I need to write about Instagram or I need to write about social media because I am broken the first time I was like oh my god this is amazing yes let's get out of writing about love and then suddenly it just became this thing and I was like I actually can't use any more metaphors I don't know what to do I don't know how else to say this but it it became and it, it was so weird that everybody every artist that I worked with was on that exact same zeitgeist of This is so overwhelming and it is stressful to deal with as an artist. It's not just about what you're writing or singing or how you're performing. It's how you're presenting yourself. And I remember just being really fascinated by a lot of songs in that year that I had to try and kind of come up with different ways of saying it. So I wasn't like copywriting 
myself and other people that I'd worked with. I remember that was a tricky thing. But I think the intimacy, it helps create a connection and mm. and you can hear that. And but sometimes I'll, you know, put my two cents in. But for me, it's not what the artist wants to sing about my experience. My job is to serve the artist and to make sure that they sing and have a song that they want to say, mm. not what I think should be said. That's just my sort of view but on it. Do you always start with this sort of concept, thing that you're trying mm. to say? That feels like quite deliberate. I, I'm a big concept fan and I think lots of people, and I've written with other incredible writers and producers who don't go this way. But for me, I want to at least come in with three or four ideas or concepts that I can bring to a session if the artist doesn't really have anything that they want to say or they haven't, they know what they want to say, but they're not quite sure what the full main message is. Mm. And I think concepts really help create a boundary for where you want to write in rather than, mm. it's terrifying if you go, hey, let's write about anything. And you can go, <laughs> I have no idea. That feels very overwhelming. And sometimes you start on a concept and you're like, okay, we're going to write about this. And as you're writing it, you go, okay, that was the starting point, but actually mm. it's now about this. So let's mm. rewrite the first because the where you've got to with it, the springboard is is the most important thing. So it can it can evolve and change. And I think the rigidity to think, oh no, we have to stick on this title or this idea because that was what we said we do mm. isn't necessarily the best way of getting the best out of the song. Mm. But I think creating, yeah, like a boundary or even just like a ring fence mm. is helpful. And I, I like it because it helps me focus on the song. Mm. And it helps me. I remember going to a really interesting talk and oh, for the life of me, I've forgotten the gentleman's name who gave it, which is terrible. But he was talking about how he had meticulously gone through every top 10 or number one song for the past five years. And what he realized, all the really killer ones had the title line or like the hook of the chorus. It could be placed under the verse, under the pre-chorus, under the middle eight, like every lyric and every idea that kind of flowed down through it. He said it was like dripping paint. You could have that hook underneath it and it would make sense and it would answer what you're trying to say. Mm. So that's something I try and take in. It's super and it's genius. Yeah, It's really cool. And I feel like you see that even in quite impersonal pop songs, like Max Martin stuff always has like the tagline, the kind of, I don't know what you call it, like this, not summary is the wrong word. It's like you but said, it is a summary. It is, yeah. The rest of the song. Yeah. yeah and he's, he's one of the ones, you know, they meant, he, he mentioned raw and I remember being like, what? And I went home and you look at the verse and then you hear, now you're going to hear me raw. And it just all completely lines up as if it was a conversation mm. or like a train of thought. That's super interesting. So that's something I try and take in terms of a concept or kind of going back to it. And it also helps kind of keep, uh, yeah, I use the word focus, not in a, that all musicians are really unfocused, but just trying to come back on the song going, are we answering what we're trying to say are we being true to what we're writing and if you're suddenly going off on a tangent it's, that might be a separate song and that's happened a lot where you're writing and then you write something else and you're like oh crap we've got two songs in here we need to pull them apart but yeah that's super interesting and so what makes a good starter as in is a good starter does it have to be meaningful or is it oh no not at all i think it just has to resonate with you that would be my Something for me is if 
I hear a quote or someone says something on TV that I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. Or a title. I either have two titles but that, that can be quite broad, especially if I'm going with an artist that I don't know, I haven't written with before. And yeah. I don't want to box them in on my idea. Or I'll have a couple of quotes from TV shows or from movies or from books and just think, just say, I thought this was a really beautiful line. And again, that might, we might not use that line, but there might be a word in it like blue or river or whatever. And then you think, okay, mm. cool. That's what will springboard off. Mm. But it's almost just like having a toolkit with you. You wouldn't, you compare it to like a workman, you wouldn't show up to fix someone's house and not have any of your tools. And mm. that for me as a songwriter, like I'll either go in with some chords or have a melody that I've just been sitting on for a while, or I'll go in with titles, mm. or even both, like all of them. It just depends on how organised I am <laughs> mm. that day. Do you have to be in a certain location or emotional space or have certain tools to like get you to do your best stuff? No. I think okay. the only... I think some locations can be... I think there's this idea that everybody wants the most amazing studio and you have to be with the most amazing gear and you have to have the most amazing microphones and pianos and things. And sometimes those sessions where I've been in those incredible recording studios and they just happen to be where you're writing that day have been amazing. And other times they feel so overwhelming, like Ooh. so overwhelming and so terrifying. And the pressure that is put on is extraordinary and mm. when you're put under pressure you panic when you panic you can't think and you can't create mm. I think the thing that you really want to feel is comfortable with yourself and with someone else so I think that for me having the chats mm. before and just trying to create uh, a vibe or a conversation or even just like a human connection and interaction but location wise a lot of the stuff that I've done with Hannah we recorded here in my second bedroom and they were guide vocals, but she's just so great <laughs> that they end up being the finished ones. With Ward Thomas, we actually, there was one time we, the studio had double booked and we couldn't get into it. And so we wrote a song, uh, both the girls were in the front and I was in the back and we wrote it in the car because we had nowhere else to go <laughs> because the studio had double booked. And we were like, oh, other artists, it's been so hot that we've gone to sit in a park under a tree and write like it I think if you've got that connection with someone you can literally be put anywhere and when I've done top lines for dance stuff when we used to be able to travel pre-corona you do it on a plane or on a train and you just be listening and you'd be writing it's it's you have to make wherever you are the best you can be and the best mm. it can be to help facilitate your work obviously mm. you don't want to be by a building site that's slightly counterproductive when writing songs but I think I wouldn't if I don't think you have to have this amazing place if you feel comfortable in it so something for me I think you can see my studio from back here but I like pictures I like having art on the wall I like having things that make people feel comfortable or something to look at and something to inspire and spark mm. but that's just a personal thing it's genuinely whatever makes you feel comfortable mm. I think this sort of like connection with the concept and material and this sense of comfort is really interesting how do you go about turning that concept or that uh, and that sense of comfort into a like musical starting point are you like okay if we're blue then we know that a good place to start is with this set of chords or whatever 
Or are you like, okay, I always actually get straight on the computer and generate some random sounds mm-hmm. or like how, how it, or, or is it, I sit at a piano and bash certain notes. Like how do you actually go from the, or what's your default way of going from the starting point or the concept to our musical idea? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good question. I, I'm going to be slightly annoying and say it's different for every artist, yeah, but I've had moments where I've done all three. I think it's interesting. A lot of people are like, if we're writing a sad song, so for example, you said blue, if, and that's quote unquote sad thing. Mm. The thing I really like to do is write really happy, sad songs. That's just mm. like, it, it, and it goes back to my, one of my favorite songs, which is the Smokey Robinson um, tracks my tears. Mm. Like when you actually listen to those lyrics and you look at and you read them and you hit the song is just so uplifting and it's so joyful. The lyrics are like heartbreaking. <laughs> Again, Robin dancing on my own. Like that's a really tragic song. Yet you just want to bust out on a Saturday night to it. So I that's actually something I quite like to do to to present a challenge or like a, hey, should we try doing a happy sad? I think default chords are really interesting. I don't necessarily have any that I go to, but I will always try and think of a rhythm Mm. or even like a time signature or something just to think what's slightly different. What's a signature that could work for this artist or could be just that little bit different to inspire and spark them? Because sometimes if you play the same four chords, an artist either just goes, oh my God, I want to go home now. Mm. Or they feel trapped in a certain style that they can't be themselves in. Mm. Sometimes you'll, you'll kind of go to the piano and play different things. Or if I've got a guitar, like a, an artist who plays guitar, again, just throwing the capo on in a different way and maybe playing mm. shapes that you know, but mm. in a slightly different rhythmical way. I think that's something that I find really interesting. And again, I, I pick that up from various bands and artists that I've just listened to it's like oh that's really cool how do they do that and you realize it's really simple chords but they've just changed up the rhythm in a way or missed the second beat and just done something so it catches your ear and then I've had some artists who literally can't start with an instrument and have to start with production so I'll pull up Logic and I'll try and find loops or even just create some drum parts and sometimes I'm even doing that while we're talking so you're not, again, putting this pressure and I've got someone over my shoulder and going, oh my God, this is so stressful. Mm. You're just both there creating and then you'll be chatting about, I don't know, anything. And someone will go, oh wait, hang on, could you put that kick there? Or could you move mm. that? Or we need a snare there. And then instantly you've got a rhythm. Mm. And lots of artists like to just write melody over that and then you find the chords underneath. Mm. So I think from the concept, I think once, or this is, again, this is just my kind of personal um, experience of it but once I know what the song's about I'm like okay cool I can map out in my head almost like a story like a beginning a middle and an end it might completely change but at least I've got that okay this is our boundary this is where we're going I can then say right is it going to be upbeat is it going to be down tempo and then try and think about rhythm so mm-hmm. it's ryth- rhythm next for me and then when you get that rhythm and you get the melody if you have the concept, then the lyrics will come because you know what you want to say. That's just that's just how it works for me. I know lots of other fantastic writers who do it differently, but mm. that's just my thought process. And that feels like something that I, again, feel comfortable in. But I'm also happy to throw it out if it doesn't work. And I think that's something that 
I learned again from working in the States, they're super honest. And I was in this session. Oh my God, it like makes my British skin crawl. Mm. We were in the session and the I was with a songwriter. He'd brought me in with this new artist and the artist was just so difficult. I was like, no, I don't like it. No, I don't like it. But wasn't providing anything else that he wanted to say. And I was playing chords. And I was like, what about this? What about this? The other songwriter was throwing out ideas. And he was just being so difficult. We'd say something and he'd go, no, I hate it. And then an hour later, he'd be like, what about this line? And it would be the line that we had said, just really truculent, crap energy. And after an hour, the songwriter that had brought me in said, you know what? I'm going to call it a day. This clearly isn't working. Jessica and I are going to leave. And really nice to meet you, but let's just not waste any more of our time. And I was just... (laughs) absolutely mortified and this artist was like oh no 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 it's like going really well and he's no I'm sorry there's no vibe you've been really difficult this is it's not my working style Jessica and I are going to go and I just felt so sick but it was actually looking back on it it's totally right he wasn't rude like the that songwriter who pulled me out the session he wasn't rude he was just saying this clearly isn't working and it's wasting everyone's time and we shouldn't be running around trying to put a square peg in a round hole and that sort of, I think, honesty of going, this isn't working. And on a lesser scale with artists here, if we've been you know, really excited about a con- concept and pushing something, but it's just not connecting. Mm. It's like, okay, you know what? We're going to have a coffee or we're going to go for lunch. And that idea is out the window. Mm. We'll start something new. And having the freedom, I've had that a couple of times with, at Belmont. We've had this really cool idea and we just get really intricate and it gets really detailed. And then we're like it just isn't working and it's like okay park it put it somewhere else and then do write a different song in the second part of the the kind of session and it, it second to none always works because you've just had that honesty and no one feels pressured and like oh god we have to finish this mm. because we started it it's a, a failure if we don't finish and it's just not it's actually it's a failure if you keep going on something that no one's gonna like yeah i experienced a very similar thing at a much <laughs> better level obviously but just where I tend to try and write more than one song at a time because I always find the first one is feels forced whereas like once I've written something suddenly I'm like now I can do something stupid and often the stupid thing Thing is the brilliant thing yeah Yeah. completely that's on all levels I think you have that or even you play chords down and you sing something out and you're like okay now it's out in the world it's opened it's turned on a tap I think that's totally the way it happens but it's because your sensor like your inner critic is gone because you've created something you then can go okay well I've done that and I've played by the rules now I'll do something different and it's the different that everybody really wants to hear and how do you then know if it's good or do you not know at the time when do you do the like okay now we need to stop or now or this is this is the one for the day that's the million dollar question I how do you know you're done? I think is really interesting. For me, you, until it's released, that's when you know it's done. There was a song on the third, yeah, third Will Thomas record, Restless Minds, that we wrote um, called No Filter. And that had, we wrote it and we demoed it in a day and we were like, yeah, this is it, this is it. And six months later, the girls rung me up and rung Rebecca up and were like, the chorus just isn't right. And I was like, oh, but that was done. What are you talking about? We demoed it. Like, it's finished. And they were like, we, we want to go in and rewrite the chorus. And that was six months later. Went back in and suddenly we're like, oh, yeah, this is totally not right. How could you not see this? But at the time, it really worked and it flowed and it felt like a finished product. 
And I think that was a very fundamental moment in my career to go, actually, there is, even though it's been demoed and even though it's in its nice little box that you finished in the day and it's up on a SoundCloud link and it's being sent around various members in the label and of the team, it doesn't mean it can't be changed. And sometimes you go back to a song and think, do we need to change this? And you try it and you go, no, actually, it was right as it is. And other times you find something really special. And so I think for me, when something's done, it's out in the world and it's released. But I think it's, there's no, I think, again, it's a little bit like what we were talking about at the beginning with this idea that artists try and think or try and state that they write their own stuff. It's like not having songwriters around. I think a lot of people going, well, it's, I've created it, so why would I edit it? What comes out must be, the first thing that comes out must be the best thing. And for me, that's just not true at all. It's, yes, it was really hard to create that, but one of the things I then do at the end of every session is you look over the lyrics or go, is that melody the best that it can be? I worked with a great songwriter at the start of my career called Will Knox. And, you know, we'd have these great songs. I'd be like, wow, this was amazing. And he goes, yeah, but can it be better? And I remember being like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. Because it was almost like, no, 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 I don't want to like change anything because I think it's perfect. But mm. it was even just going over that and going, yes, but can it be better? If it can, push it great wonderful if it can't then cool you've got it there's no harm in trying to always keep looking rather than just going it's almost like um a metaphor would be like you've got a to-do list and you can do them all in an hour but you do them all craply but Mm. as long as you could tick them all off then that would be fine Mm. I feel like this asking the question, can it be better, is making sure that, yes, okay, not all of them will be finished by the end of the day, but they'll all be done. All of your tasks will be done really well. Mm. I think it's weird to think about that with songs because sometimes it's like, it can't be better, but it's still not good. As in, <laughs> do you know what I mean? As in, there's yeah. sometimes when you're like, this could be really amazing if I nailed it. But other times you're like, it just is what it is Mm -hmm. like this just wasn't a good one (laughs) also the other thing I would say (laughs) I don't I I think it's almost or it's (laughs) no not at all but I've I've had that where you've just been like oh I so thought that idea was going to work but I would never throw away this is why I have a writing book and Mm. I get really cross when people are like on shared notes or on google docs so they just delete something because I was like no you have no idea if that's something you might want to come back to and the amount of songs I've gone into the vault going, oh my God, that's a great title. The rest of the song is awful, but that's a really cool idea. And actually I'm going to take that to someone and see. So I'd never throw away any of the ideas. It might just not have landed on that day, but it doesn't mean it's not going to land in another situation. Right. And one of my favorite anecdotes, a uh, big Leonard Cohen fan, and I think he, in his one of his memoirs or one of his interviews, he said that he was having a chat with Bob Dylan and, you know, was talk to him about how Bob Dylan writes. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, right. I, I think it was blowing in the wind in 20 minutes. And um, he said, how long did it take you to write Hallelujah? And uh, Leonard Cohen said, oh, yeah, yeah, two, two years. But he said, but actually I lied because it took me five. <laughs> and there were 60 verses of Hallelujah. Mm. And he had to whittle them down. That was, that's his, that's like editing, which terrifies me. But mm. that was his sort of process it's not necessarily like oh yeah I wrote the song really quickly therefore the muse like came through my head and it was all fine Mm. it's sometimes you have to bash down the door Mm. and force the muse out of bed kicking and screaming 
And I think that's something that people don't like. And I, th- I think even our conversation before we started recording about the pandemic, I think a lot of people thought, oh my gosh, doing songwriting via Zoom, that's so like unartistic and it's so uncreative and I need to be in the room, I need to be in a space. And it's, no, you need to turn up and do a job and you need to create something. <laughs> like yeah. whether it's through a screen or whether you're sitting on my studio couch, it doesn't you've got to just interact and create. There's a brilliant Chuck Close quote where he says, inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us just show up and get to work. Mm. That's something I took. I take that quote and and like it. Yeah, <laughs> Have yeah, it above really. my piano. Yeah, I, t- I, totally, I totally buy that. I always find it frustrating that in other industries, that's just not controversial. But for some reason in music, it is. It's, but I just don't believe it. I don't, I don't believe, believe I don't believe that there are these people who are just like so magically talented that they write 10 songs a year and they're all fucking great. It's just yeah, like... It's, and it, it's not true. And that means they just have a brilliant PR team. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, songwriter Dan Wilson is a sort of a hero of mine. And he says, for every 10 songs you write, one will be good. Mm. And so you have to just keep writing w- whatever comes out in order to sift away all the kind of the stuff that you don't want. And if you're on a really good streak, that's brilliant. But just know that there'll be a moment where it might not be your best stuff. You might not feel as mentally able to create something brilliant, but it doesn't mean that you should stop. Hey, if you're enjoying the episode so far, I'd love it if you would leave a review or share it with a friend. Makes a huge difference for us. Thanks. How do you know whether it's a better use of time to focus on making this idea the best it could be versus coming up with something new entirely you know what i mean because it feels like you could spend oh, okay. spend 10 hours making a really good song yeah. but in 10 hours you can also just write something else which also which might be even better so it's like how do you what's like the right use of time oh another really good question if you are in a like in a vibe or in a zone or in a flow and you're enjoying what you're writing mm. i would write until that enjoyment stops mm. If you get to a point where you're like, I, I can't, this doesn't feel right, or I can't think of anything to say, or this isn't, there isn't a, like an excitement and like that bubbly feeling where you're like, oh my God, yes, this all works. And oh my gosh, this rhymes with this. And oh, I can put this chord here and make it sound like Carol mm. King. Hooray. If you don't have all those kind of fuzzy feelings, I think that's when you kind of maybe go, okay, I'm going to go for a walk around the block or I'm going to make myself a cup of tea and come back to it and if you're still sort of listening to it being like this isn't my best that's when I'd suggest you transfer over and go mm. let's try this I think it's about not giving up too easily but it's also not flogging a dead horse it's kind of mm. trying to create uh, a sort of you step away from the song another wonderful thing I learned in Nashville was the uh, songwriters I were working with very early on in my career so it was quite I was quite impressionable and we went into this one writing session and they they said right has everybody have you all done it have you all done it has everyone done it and I was like oh my god there was work to do and I didn't prep and I sweaty palms all over again and he said no no and I, I said oh I, I didn't know there was something I had to prep and he goes no, no I'm just checking you've left your ego at the door <laughs> and I was like Oh, <laughs> I think I, I didn't drop it off. I didn't see a box, but it was that. One, yeah, <laughs> I, was like, I, I don't think I have one, but maybe I do. I don't know. But it was this idea that it and I, I kind of looked at him blankly. He said, just leave the ego at the door. This isn't about any of us. This is about the song. 
and you do your best for the song you don't do your best for you Mm. because when you release that song into the world you've got to let it go and do its thing and that was always very important to me in sessions especially with artists and making sure it's like oh I'd really want to say that but that's not what they feel so I'm not going to put me into their Mm. song and I think when you're coming at it from going how do I make sure I'm using maximizing my time the best going what is the best use for this song And then once you remove yourself, just that ever so slightly, you're still obviously putting the majority of you and your creativity. But once you take that slight step back and see it sort of objectively, you can either go, yeah, I know where it now needs to go because you're not fully blinded by a lot of the the, the feelings that creatives get, which is, oh my God, I'm not good enough. Oh my God, I'm great. No one understands me. Or like, oh, I really should practice 17 times a day. And oh, actually Mm. I don't need to practice at all because I'm naturally gifted. It's sort of oscillating between all those feelings and I think when you just take a step back and go is this the best that I can do for the song and if it is Mm. brilliant that's great but if it's something that you go actually I want to spend my time exploring something else I'd it's sort of go where the joy is because otherwise what are you doing it for when do you share it with other people do you yeah what stage is something at before you you share it with someone can I ask you to define who you when you say sharing it with is this with other artists or with management or yeah I guess I don't even know the options (laughs) so (laughs) if I'm because I think there is different for sharing it with creatives versus sharing it with a team like an industry team Hmm. so for an industry team I would make sure there is a really clear vocal and acoustic version before I'd send out anything whereas to an artist or another songwriter or a producer, I would send a voice note mm. that had like cats in the background. Whereas industry, I'd want to make sure I was really happy with it because I think you can only listen to something for the first time once. You only get one first play of something. And mm. if you're sort of not quite sure about it, I wouldn't send it out to an industry for feedback. I'd hit up another creative and go do you think this is right and if so then I'd put it in a space where it sounds great because if it sounds I mean yeah again it's that's just my thing how does it work stylistically that process because like you can obviously play any song in any style basically or produce any song in any style more or less Mm -hmm. but if you've written a song that is okay like piano ballad but there's another version of that song which you could make which would also be good in a completely different style Mm -hmm. surely you can't if you send it out as a piano ballad, does that mean that people will only interpret it in that way? Or do you, offer, do you get, is there a remit to just say, okay, like this is the sort of platonic box of the song mm-hmm. and you can fill in the blanks? I think that's, that's a really interesting one. I like to send two versions mm. of the songs that I'm working on to people. So I will always send an acoustic version, whether it's guitar or whether it's piano. Mm. And then I'll send the produced version as well, because mm. it's quite hard. Some A&Rs only want the song to sound like the finished product. And mm. it, that's incredibly, can be really overwhelming and quite time consuming. And it also boxes you in for a certain artist. Mm. And actually, if you're thinking it could go to a variety of different people. So I'll, again, it, this is also if I'm pitching a song, if I'm with the artist, I will still send two versions because the managers might not like my demo, but they really love the song. 
So if they then have the song and they're not going to be put off by my production. Alternatively, my production might be something that the management really like and they don't like the piano ballad. So they've got my production and they can hear where it can go rather than going, oh God, this is just a ballad. It's no, actually, it's like a hip hop track. (laughs) But so I I think having both is really good and it can just give more... It can give just more life for the song. I think that's one of the things that I find very scary about trying to turn something from the like acoustic version into something that's produced is the production solidifies the options for the song in other people's heads. Mm. Yeah. And that's why so I, I would also recommend doing the produced version and then from that produced version, getting your acoustic version. Mm. So that way... You can go, you as the creative and the artist can understand going, actually, was this the right production for it? Because do I love that in the acoustic vibe that it is? Or would I slow it down 10 BPM? And if that's the case, then maybe you look at doing the whole project down 10 BPM than the original Mm. start, the production you started in. Maybe we can return back to the funnel. I guess first question is like, how often do you actually write? Is that something you do every day, all day? Or And then second question is like, how many songs do you get out of a day? Uh, and then what is the actual funnel? Is it like like motif or idea or concept? And then it's like acoustic version and then it's a, a, like a d- slightly produced demo. What does that whole thing look like? Yeah, so I normally have a writing session every day with an artist mm. or it will be two days with one artist. And then I'll try and book in a day to do demos up or or just like actually go out for inspiration. Go to a gallery. Yeah, COVID has prevented a lot of that, but mm. go online. Go online. <laughs> yeah. Online, online galleries. Um, <laughs> or like watch a uh, documentary or mm. a movie and just, or, or even just go out and meet someone for coffee and just speak to someone different. And I think that's mm. something that, I struggled with it first because I felt really guilty. I was like, no, I have to be writing all the time and I have to, otherwise I'm just not maximizing the full potential and I'll miss out on a great song. And actually I realized that I was just getting stale. So I think having a day to finish stuff up and also try and be inspired is really important. But with writing every day, I like to try and get a guide down from the artist so that I can then work on the demo or if it's a really like good voice memo I can take that voice memo and build up something from there and then get the artist back in but I I tend to with with COVID it's been slightly different I've had sometimes I think I was mentioning to you before like two to three writing sessions in a day Mm. and the third one always how long is a session just a sure on Zoom they've been I think my longest was about four and a half hours Holy um, but in a, when I've had two or three in a day, I've done like 10 till one and then two till five. And then I've done a late one if it was a time difference thing. And by the third song, I'm slightly, well, actually I'm fully exhausted. But sometimes in that exhaustion, I kind of am just very honest. I'm like, I think we should write something like this or no, I don't think that's right. In a day, like if I have someone pre-COVID, I'd have someone in from sort of 10 till 6 or 11 till 6. The aim of that is you get one song that you can yeah. then demo. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the aim is that I, in ideal world, they come at 10, you chat for an hour, you start writing at 11 till around one thirty 
and you get the ideas out, come back after lunch because food, I'm very much like, oh, it's lunchtime now. Some people can just write through and not eat. Whereas if I'm not eating, I'm starting to like sound like a Teletubby. It just doesn't work. And then sort of finish it off after lunch if it's not finished or just demo it up. And sometimes the artist will do a guy vocal and then want to kind of sit and help with the production. And sometimes I'll just want to go home and then I can just sit and work till the end of that day. And then if it's all done and I send it to the artist and they like it, then I'll just forward it on to their team and my team and Mm. see how it goes from there. Um, What percentage get released? Like, is it like... Oh, I really need to look that up. Well, bizarrely in COVID, doing the Zoom stuff, I think people have been so delighted to be writing and creating and so delighted that everybody's staying at home and listening to Spotify that there's been, I've had quite a lot of releases during lockdown, which was very unexpected and very nice. How many of them get released? It's, it's, Is it fast enough that like it would get released as in you've had something that's been written and released during COVID? Yeah. Oh my God, wow. I didn't know know it could be that fast. Yeah, it's slightly bananas. And yeah, it still kind of shocks me, but I guess what you need is you need four weeks to to kind of upload from a distributor to to like online stores. Mm. And if someone's pushing it and you've you've got like something behind you, it can go. And that's the, the brilliance of music. But then a lot of stuff that have been released during COVID has also been songs I wrote four years ago. Mm. that have just sat and haven't quite made their time or been ready. And then suddenly it's like, oh no, now, now's the time, now it works. And I think that's another thing I like to, you know, gold, gold doesn't rust and it doesn't go out of fashion. So like if you've got a really good song and it, you know, doesn't get released within four weeks, that's okay. If it doesn't get released within that year, that's still okay because you see how many artists have lots of song and songs in you know backlog and they're moving things around and sometimes they'll only really understand it and get it and it really means something to them two years after they wrote it mm. and that's a really wonderful thing and it's always just really nice to see it's almost like an old friend just pop up and be like oh I remember you I'm so glad you come back out to be released returning a bit to the music how do you think about cheese or cliche in your music in particular, it's really interesting because they're arranged in a way like where if the song isn't good, then it's, it can be a bit cringy, right? You have like someone sitting on a piano and like playing yeah. something and you're like, oh God, it's like that singer-songwriter thing mm-hmm. that like, it's just really cliche. Whereas like, it feels like you like touch that genre, but then it just doesn't feel like that. They feel really authentic and they feel really intimate. Yeah, yeah. I think it's that kind of, everybody loves Eurovision songs in one way or another because they're so cliche and it's just like that Mm. joy that you can like dive into that being like I can say this and it's really naff but it's gonna be okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) and I think you've just got to judge your own radar on it if you would sit there and cringe and be like oh that feels really naff to me and you know I've had that a couple of times if you've been writing with someone and been like is that really naff it's really naff isn't it we should probably take that out (laughs) Or the worst is when you're like, is that a pretty naff? And someone's like, no, I think that's the best lyric I've ever written. And you're like, oh, yes, great. I love it. Brilliant. <laughs> Nailed it. Smashed it. I was just joking. Ha ha. I think there's, it's, it's trying to just appeal to what you, what, what feels right. Mm. And what 
where you want to land like a lot of the stuff I do with Hannah is well like she's very much like I want a weird chord here and I love that and it's like cool okay let's find a weird chord whereas other artists will be like it needs to be straight down the line and it needs to follow a formula and I want to end on the one and you're like Mm. okay that's what you want and that's fine and I think it's listening to that I'm I'm a big ABBA fan which lots of people would say they're really cheesy. I would disagree greatly because I think some of the musical arrangements and some of their chords and some of their harmonies and some of the way they transpose or their rhythms is just astonishing. I think the the cheesy thing about ABBA was their outfits. So I, I think it is a personal thing. And I think if I can sit and go and not cringe then I feel okay with it. And there have been a couple of times where an artist has been like, I really like it. And I'm like, I just think it sounds really sappy. And I think it will, you'll, you'll regret it just because you're in the moment right now. I think mm. you will regret it. Um, mm. A little sidetrack. How do you think about reference tracks? I'm just reminded because I actually oh, yeah. used an ABBA song recently as a reference track for something I was working on. And it is just, they're just insanely great. And like their arrangements are like, oh my God, how did you, if I like had the bones of that song, I would never come up with, that way of delivering mm. it that is just so insanely good. So yeah, how do you think about reference tracks? Do you use them? I do. And I like reference tracks. I like reference tracks a lot. And I think sometimes they can be really useful and helpful tools. So if it's, you know, you've got an idea for something, but you're not quite sure how to land on it, I will go to some of my favorite songs. And I'll say like, what did they do with their chords? Like, why did that work? I remember listening to a Gary Barlow interview and he said, someone was talking about his piano skills and how he has this ability to create all these wonderful chord sequences. And he said, it's because I played in a working man's club in Manchester and I had to copy all of the Billy Joels, all of the Elton Johns, all of these amazing piano things. So he's like, my hands and my ears got used to all these kind of brilliant chords. And I thought that was interesting. So I took that to a session idea and I took a kind of a Billy Joel song and I said, I've got these chords. I'd rearranged them. So I'd, I'd got the, where they, I got the basis of what he did. And then I kind of inverted them or I changed the rhythm mm. or I'd add in something different just as a starting point to see if that was something that could do. And it was like, it, it worked. And it was like, that's really mm. cool. There's taking inspiration from stuff that you really like. And I think references can be really helpful. I think the thing is with references that, you know, I'd say to songwriters and producers when they've got artists in is making sure that the artist wants to sound like that rather than going, I just really love this song. Mm. So I've had kind of young artists come in being like, I want to write uh, a song like Billie Eilish, but then they'll give me a house track. Or they'll give me like a David Guetta song. And I'm like, this, I mean, they're pole, they're worlds apart. Is it just because you like to listen to this style of music or do you actually want to be this style of music? And I think that's where references can get a little bit crazy. And that's why sometimes it can get overproduced and underwritten because you're trying to follow something that actually isn't really what the artist wants. But I also think reference tracks are brilliant in terms of getting a vibe of what someone wants. Mm. and is especially when I'm listening with my kind of producer is okay so they like ear candy and stuff okay so they like different rhythms okay so it's pretty sparse drum wise but they love a jangly piano so then when 
I'm coming to play something, I'll put a jangly piano. I mean, jangly piano is not <laughs> is not a mode, <laughs> but it should be actually. Um, but, you know, I'll get that kind of sound up there so they can feel inspired by that. And that can be something that leads on to them finding a melody or singing a rhythm or, you know. It feels to me as if like over the last sort of few years, songs in the charts have often shifted away from the classic progressions that you would get in Elton John or Mm -hmm. ABBA or whatever, where you have these like big cadences and like big changes, whereas a Rihanna song or a Drake song, it's like basically on loop the whole time, right? You're creating the chorus through production a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. So like, how does, how do you think about your writing style in the context of these sort of, I guess, like fashion shifts in how music is written? Yeah, that's a brilliant question. It's really, it's it's quite a delicate sort of balance because I know writer friends who have been involved in kind of camps for writing Rihanna songs and they'll take choruses from one set of writers and producers and they'll take verses from others and then they'll take middle eights. And so that's why sometimes it can sound really bonkers because they've actually been taken from six different songs. Mm. And they've all been mashed together. And that's why there's 17 writers on it or something, because Mm. you've got all these different parts. One thing I think is really interesting about looping chords or chorus is you have to work really hard at your melody. Mm. And that's something I like as a challenge sometimes. So we'll say, okay, we're going to stick to three chords and the truth and just see what happens. But each time you have to really push that melody Mm. And I think someone who does that brilliantly is like Fun Period or um, Jack Anatoff, like just goes for these really kind of crazy melodies, but they're all within the same four chords. Mm. So I think that can be really interesting. And, but I know I've spoken about building up demos, but that's something that I like to do just because I like producing and it's fun to have the idea of maybe being a part of the record with the artist, with not just the song, but with the production. But my kind of go-to is if it sounds brilliant on a guitar and on a piano, you can dress it up in a Drake style or a Rihanna Mm. style and it will still be really good. Mm. And I think if you were to try and make those songs acoustic, would they work as well? I'm not sure. I try not to trace, to chase trends Mm. because they're over so quickly. And I think it's one of those things, if if something's popular now, it's because someone was writing it six months ago. Mm. So you don't you want to chase what's the next six months, what's going to be big in six months' time, not what is big now. Yeah. Have you ever not liked your own music? Yeah. <laughs> what do you, um, you cry in a corner. No, there, there have been some songs that I've been like, oh, like, how was that released? Oh God, I think it's you deal with it in the way that you can. I mean, I remember listening to I think it was the Soda Jerker podcast where Dan Wilson wrote Someone Like You with Adele and they were like did you know it was amazing he's like I thought it was fine I wasn't like fussed by it (laughs) and you think oh my god that was the song that sort of (laughs) launched Adele but fine I think when you don't like your own music but if someone else does that's the power and wonderfulness of music it means something Mm. to someone else and it might not mean something to you but that's that, that's my job. I've got to do what someone else likes and what someone else wants to release. I'll try and make it the best I can. And even if I don't like it, but they love it, then that's great that they love it. Have you ever f- felt like you're writing the same song over and over? 
2018. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, but do you do you accept that, or are you like, okay, I need to like change something about how I'm working to avoid? Yeah, actually, one I had this once with Cassa Jackson. So she, we'd done a bunch of stuff for her first EP, the Prisoner, and her other song, Luke Warm. And then she came and she said, I want to write this song about this idea of someone lying and you just, you know that they're lying and they're cheater or whatever, but you just keep going back to them. And the words that she was saying, I had actually written that two years prior with another writer I was working with at the time. And we, you know, demoed it up. And I said to her, I was like, I'm here if you want to write that. But everything you're saying, I, I feel like I've written that song. And I played it to her and she was like, I, I want this is this like this. Can I have this? Mm. And it was really like, wow, that's amazing. That's kind of Nashville style. She was like, that is everything that I want to articulate. So can I take that song? And I was like, yes. I was, <laughs> I was like, here, it's yours. I was like, easy day. What else do you want? Should we go for lunch? Like it's 10 o'clock. And, you know, she kind of ended up cutting that song. There have been other times where I've had the start of an idea and I've said, hey, I've got this chorus or I have this verse and I've brought that in. And, We've tried to write around it. I think there have been other times where I've presented a concept to an artist and said, oh, I've got this really great concept. And they've looked at me and they said, I wrote that last week. You're Mm. like, oh, crap. It's just about, I think if there was anything that I would feel that I I was in danger of, yeah, as I think I said about the kind of Instagram thing, like in danger of copywriting myself or clashing songs together where you're pitting stuff against one another. I'd just be upfront and honest and said, I've actually written this. Is there, is there another route that we could go down? But I, yeah, I think I try and try and continue to, to change it up because it's much more interesting for me as well. And mm. if someone comes in with those core, like four chords or whatever, I'm like, oh, do you think we could shift it or do you think we could change it? It's just, it's all about throwing ideas into the mix. But yeah, the, the, the Casa thing was really funny because it was like, oh my gosh, you're actually saying lyrics that, I wrote and and it worked out great and there was another kind of country duo that I worked with earlier this year or no late last year and they said they were talking about an idea and I said oh, I've can't I, I think I might have I've got something like that do you want to hear it and they did and they were like yeah we'll just take this and it was like okay cool but th- they're very few and far between and you have to have a, a good rapport and be prepared for the person to go no I want to write something like that And I think in that case, that's very much up to whomever to go, okay, yeah, I'll get my head out of that song and try something else and and see it as a challenge rather than uh, rejection. Or Mm. I think you look at someone like Diane Warren and how she wrote Unbreak My Heart and you think you could, how on earth, like she smashed it, how on earth would you rewrite that? And then actually that's the challenge. That's the joy of going, how many ways are there to say unbreak my heart how do you find the hook so I think the hook melodically is something that you wake up in the middle of the night to get a glass of water and you're it's still going around in your head and you can't you just can't get it out and when you land on it you and the artist or you and the producer or whoever look at each other and be like that one that's it Mm. lyrically I think the hook is what answers your concept or your title. Yeah. And it's that real, yeah, we've landed. Mm. Because you're up in the air and you're grabbing and you're trying to, it's almost like you're reaching for 
whatever's in the air and then suddenly you grab it and then it just pulls you down it's like your parachute and you just landed mm. and you're always trying to make things land the star is born the most recent one that bradley cooper did there was really int- i'm gonna butcher the line but there was a moment where he's talking with his brother and his brother says something like you stole my career or you stole my voice and he said i didn't steal your voice i just had something to say mm. and i think that's really interesting and that's really what the the kind of hook and the the lyrical concepts of what songwriting and what being a successful artist is it's what are you saying what are you sharing what can you say from your experiences that connects with someone but that hasn't been said before or if it has it's been said in a more interesting way like essentially robin has rewritten tracks on my tears mm. like i'm in the corner and, you know, it's like, take a good look at my face. Like, they're, 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 they're kind of same, same, but different. And they're both wonderful in their own rights. Mm. But it's just a different way of engaging with that feeling of, oh, it's just, I'm trying to pretend I'm fine and I'm really not. Mm. When, like, your mates who aren't professionals send you stuff, what's the difference between someone who can do this really well and someone who can't? I think... The difference or, or the, the progression from someone going from amateur to professional is the ability to take constructive criticism, someone who is continually willing to learn. And if someone gives them advice or suggests or points in a direction that they think might help them and they go after that, whether it works or not, there's like a willingness to to always improve I think that begins to show the difference between an amateur and a professional and I think it also depends on your state of mind so I think there's a lot more that happens behind the scenes than just being really good and turning up on stage and being a brilliant performer it, there's a lot more work and time and finessing and that's probably not seen as well. I think a lot of people aren't privy to the amount of time it takes to rehearse a band, the amount of time it takes to make sure that your vocal is always impeccable, the amount of time it takes to, to watch all the logic tutorials or understand what mixing is or sit in a studio and watch a guitarist replay the same part 72 times just to make sure that they've got it. Or even learn to hear. One thing mm. I find crazy is oftentimes like, people are like, listen to this EQ. And I'm like, I can't actually hear that yet. Yeah. And I know it's real because you learn over time. But I'm still just, I can't hear a lot of things that other people can hear. And that is time. That is time and that is exposure to it. And that is going to your logic and moving or your Pro Tools or whatever and, and getting that EQ thing and moving it along and being like, oh, okay, that's it. I think there is a myth that musicians like to keep in fashion that you can just sit down and play and it comes from this natural genius place. But it's like an athlete, you have to work the muscles, you have to keep playing. And I will also find that if I'm being, if I'm quite uninspired or I'm falling on the same old chords, it's because I haven't practiced my instrument or I haven't explored something different or or challenged myself in a way that will open a whole set of new doors I think it's the expectation of because I can play really well I therefore should be a successful musician it's there's a sense of a need for humility and a need for going you know what if you hold and there's another thing if you hold on to the ladder long enough 
you will succeed and you will see a lot of people drop off going, oh, but I can't be bothered to do seven hours of rehearsal or I, I don't want to get a bus from here to here and do it. I just want to be able to like play guitar at Glastonbury. And it's like, but you've got to do all those toilet gigs. You've got to do all those really crappy meetings. You've got to stand in the smelly recording rooms. You've got to go through loads of different writing sessions in order to find those key songs. And lots of people don't want to do that. And that is totally fine. That is very much their choice but then when they start to complain and say oh but I'm really good and it's like you've got to put all those little the the non-exciting sides of music and if you still love it doing that then you hold on to the ladder long enough and you'll make your way to the top hey if you enjoyed this episode make sure you subscribe leave us a review share it on social media and have a good day